I invite you to, uh, to turn in your Bibles as I, uh, as I take a seat to preach this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, or if you have a, a device with an app on it, um, I encourage you to, uh, to open this up. We'll show it on the screens as well. But, uh, but I take a seat because, uh, because for, for what it's worth, uh, these words would have first been writ- read, they would have first been read in front of a church probably with the leader of the church or one of the leaders of a church, because every church has you know, more than one. There, there's there's, there's a, a dynamic there. But, uh, but they would have probably been read seated, because we know that the first churches didn't meet in buildings like this, or even buildings like the one that, that the Fagans and the Taltons and the others uh, uh, got, got together and built in 1894. The first churches would have met in homes. It might have been a hundred years or more before the first churches, uh, first buildings were actually built exclusively for the, exclusively for the use of public worship. So they, the, uh, th- this letter to the church in Philippi, as we read from the, the, the letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, this letter written in the year 50 of the Common Era, or 50 A.D., would have been read first by someone seated in a, in a small room in a house church after, after the meal had happened, sort of like what we read about last week in the sermon uh, to the church in Corinth when we, when we were preparing for communion. So I take a seat, and I, and I will do that uh, for these coming weeks as we read through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. This is our, uh, this is our plan for... Um, for, uh, for this summer to, uh, to, to read through it. But I will say, based on my notes and how it's going so far, that, uh, that, that I, could either, I could either preach on this for seven or eight weeks, or I could preach on this for seven or eight years, because every verse is so filled with a depth and a richness and a vi- a just, just, just life itself in every one of these words that, uh, that as I go through my notes, I'm, I'm, I'm finding, well, that's a whole sermon there, and it was only like four or five words. I mean, there, there's a whole sermon there. It was like a half a phrase. I was, I was talking to Joyce, who's going to be helping me to preach, uh, to preach from Philippians. Uh, I was talking to Joyce, and she was like, Scott, now you know how Joyce talks. It's beautiful. She goes, now, Scott, listen, that's okay. If you want to preach seven years on Philippians, you just do it. If that's what the Holy Spirit says. And I was like, yeah, I think that they might get tired of Philippians, but, but. You can't say no to Joyce. So uh, buckle up. This might be the beginning of something really long and good. Now, w- one more word. One more word of note. We're going to today ta- tackle one of the four parts of this letter. And I want to I I point out that what Paul is doing with this letter is both embracing the culture of the time and the, and, the, and the form and the structure of the time and also adapting it. He's, he's using what would have been customary at the time, but also adapting it. A letter written uh, in, in, the, in the time period that Paul lived would have had four parts, and this letter has four parts. It would have opened with a word of greeting, which is sort of like an introduction. It would have opened with a word of greeting and introduction. And today we're going we're gonna to read through all of the words of greeting and introduction that Paul offers. Then it would have been followed with a word of thanksgiving, though he adapts the thanksgiving and, and, and the form that, uh, that it would have been originally, uh, uh, you know, the custom it would have been used. The custom back then was that the word of thanksgiving that followed the greeting would have said, I'm very thankful for my health, 
which I credit to the many gods of the universe. But now, Paul doesn't believe in the many gods of the universe. Paul believes that there is, what? One true God. Because Paul is both a follower of Jesus Christ and was raised a devout Pharisaic Jew. There was one true God. I mean, he gets this from, from the holiest of holies, the Shema in the Old Testament. I mean, this, this, this word, hero Israel, there is one God. So, so he adapts the thanksgiving to say, not that I'm thankful for my health and for these many gods. He, he turns it around to say, I'm thankful for you and for what God is doing in you. And, that, and we're going to get to that. But that's the second part. The third part would be the body, the main content of the letter. He doesn't have to adapt it much. That's what he just includes. And then the fourth is the word of farewell, which we'll get to again in um, seven years or 17 or something like that. This is how the letter begins. I invite you to, to listen to the word of God in the same, in the same you know, vein that it would have first been read to a church Philippians 1, verse 1. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your supervisors and servants, may the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's it. That's his word of greeting. So we say, this is the word of God for we, the people of God. Thanks be to God. From Paul and Timothy. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to note that he opens the letter. And we, we, when, we think of, when we think of the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament, I don't know if you're aware of this, the majority of the New Testament is not the Gospels. The majority of the New Testament are these letters that are written to churches primarily and a few to individuals. This is, this is how God wants us, the church, to understand what God wants the world and, 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 and us to be about this New Testament. And most of it's letters like this. Letters that, that have been adapted. He takes, he takes what would have been a, a letter to, to an individual and he makes it a letter to a group. And then it's adapted and it's read as an act of worship like we do every Sunday morning. But it's, but it's from Paul and Timothy. When we think about the letters, we oftentimes think about the Apostle Paul, but, but it's worth noting that, that in half of the letters that he writes, in half the letters he writes, and Melva, you can just leave that up there if you want, just verse 1. In half the letters he writes, he credits someone else. Now, it's worth noting that, that, that it's not because Paul needed someone to author the letters with him, because, because we believe that while he had secretaries, and from time to time you would see that, uh, that, that so-and-so is writing this, and Paul is telling them what to write, Sylvanus at one point. Um, th- there are different letters that, that different people have written um, uh, in terms of handwritten while Paul is doing uh, the, the dictating, that Paul still nevertheless here includes the name of Timothy. Is, is Paul not good enough on his own? Or, or is there something else at play? See, I think, I think Paul includes the name of others when he writes his letters because he wants from the very outset for every person to understand that Paul's is a team ministry. 
Paul, Paul would never have, have appreciated the, underst- the, the, the term uh, that Paul was a lone ranger out there starting churches. Paul's not a lone ranger. But by the way, you know who else wasn't a lone ranger? The lone ranger, right? Who was, who was the lone ranger's partner? That's exactly right. Yeah, with their horses named and Exactly. But even the Lone Ranger wasn't a Lone Ranger. And Paul didn't want that either. He wouldn't know what to do. He wouldn't know what to do. See if this catches you. He wouldn't know what to do with a superhero having a movie made after them and, 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 and they being the, the, the focus and feature of the movie. He wouldn't know what to do with, with the Apostle Paul as a movie about his life. He wouldn't Because that's not how Paul was. I mean, he might be more okay with, like, the Avengers, which was, you know, this team concept, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't know what to do with Captain America or, or Wonder Woman. He wouldn't know what to do with all the attention being on him because Paul was into a team ministry. And that becomes even more clear when we get halfway through the second chapter when he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus and those that he, that he uses in, as messengers and, 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 and deliverers of the gospel. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I don't know how, I don't know how conversations go at your home, but at my home, conversations are very seasonal. All right, think, think, think with me, all right? Conversations at my house are very seasonal. So, so we'll be talking about these kinds of things for this season, and then we'll be talking about these kinds of things for this season. You, know, you with me, right? Right? Like we all lived through a terrible season in 2016 called, say it with me, election year. That was a season, right? And it became the, it became the topic of conversation. But when, when it comes to living in a house with boys, the seasons oftentimes line up with the sports that are being played on television. And right now, the sport that has reached its pinnacle and the battle that's being waged is that of professional basketball. So in our house, the conversations very often are of dire importance. I mean, some of the most important conversations you could ever imagine being offered, like who's the greatest basketball player to ever play? Those are the kind of conversations we have at our house, right? See, LeBron James... As some people refer to him as LeBron. LeBron James, this week, started his seventh consecutive NBA Finals appearance. He's, he's, he's been a part of seven consecutive teams to make it the NBA Finals. And some people say that's enough. That's enough to, to give him the... the credibility to be considered as the greatest of all time in my house they also refer to that as the goat g-o-a-t greatest of all time the goat and so so my boys are saying things like dad what do you think is lebron the greatest of all time to which i say son let me tell you about an old old player from a long time ago michael jordan he played in the 90s and the 80s, and he played his college ball just up the road on, to, you know, on to, Tobacco Road in Carolina. Let me tell you about Michael Jordan. And they're like, Dad, he played so long ago. And I was like, that was 20 years ago. And if you don't want to consider it Michael Jordan, what about, what about Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell? What about the greats? 
And then my, my, my boys just literally roll their eyes and say, you are so old. It's LeBron or Kobe Bryant. At which point, at which point they get lashes and they get sent to timeout. <clears throat> but, but the thing is, the thing is, it's, it's, it's natural. No, that's not the right term. It's, it's normal and accepted behavior. That's better. It's normal and accepted behavior. In modern America, even in the human condition, to rank things and rank people. Which is, which is why in the opening eight words of this letter to a church that's gathered, Paul does the countercultural. It's, it's worth saying that every week we get together, the leader, whether it be, whether it be myself or some lay leader or, or, or Karen on the stage or whoever, the leader should say, welcome to Bon Air, where we gather to worship in countercultural ways. Because that's what Paul's doing here. Th- think about it. Instead of saying, I'm Paul and it's all about me, he says, I'm Paul and I'm part of a team. And then he goes a step further. Instead of saying, I'm Paul and it's all about me, and I rank high on the list of important people, what does he say? What do you see it right in front of you. He says, I'm Paul, a slave. This is countercultural. The world would have us to believe that we can do it, that I can do it all on my own, and that where I rank matters. That was what, that's the way the world works. But Paul, with eight words, just demolishes that. This is counter-cultural. This is against the ways of the world. And he's only eight words in. I'm Paul, a part of a team. And I rank myself last. I'm a slave. Now, now listen. Historically, Paul was, Paul was not a slave. He was never a slave. He was a, he was a free citizen of Rome. This would actually uh, b- work out to his advantage. He would still be executed by Rome, but it would work out to his advantage in, in moving and navigating through the, uh, the legal process as we understand some from his bio- biography. He was never a slave, and yet, and yet when he introduces himself with his words of greeting, he says, I'm a slave. Because, because I rank last. I'm at the bottom. And there is someone who has ownership over me. He goes on and says, To all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus. He's doing three things right here. Three things. One of them is uh, uh, an offhanded reference. You have to sort of read it closely. It's a reference to, to the Exodus story. Really, really the fundamental story of his people. And he wants, he wants these Christians in this, uh, in, in this new place, understanding a new way of doing religion. He wants them to understand that they've been grafted into this old way of doing things. The Exodus story, two different times. Exodus uh, 19.6 and then later on in Deuteronomy 7.6 says these words. It's, uh, th- uh, th- I got Deuteronomy queued up. 
Deuteronomy says, Because you are a people holy to the Lord your God, the Lord your God chose you to be His own treasured people beyond all others on the fertile land. See, this is, this is the way that Paul was, was raised to understand that the way God works, that God chose a people to be holy. And he wants the church in Philippi to understand that they have also been chosen to be holy. And if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, I mean, how, how, often, how often do we think about doing just enough to get by? And yet we're called to be holy. How often do we think, well, this is not against the law, but it's uh, maybe uh, it's, it's close to pushing the lines of the law. But as long as I don't get caught, I'll be okay. But he's called us to be holy. Not, not, just, not just able to avoid detection. He's called us to be holy. It's not enough to be holy in this room. He says, I want you to be holy out there. He does that actually with, uh, with, with, with some of the phrasing from, from Philippians 1. If you throw that back up, Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Notice he says, to all those who are God's people, to all those who are God's people, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, I, I, I read this and I understand that what he's saying is that you are a part of what Jesus is doing in all of history. You are a part of this larger trajectory that God has the church on, that God has all creation on. You are a part of this overarching arc of the way that God is putting the world back together. You're a part of that. You're a part of this right here. But he says, before you think that it's, that it's all pie in the sky and it's all when we get to heaven, you're also a part of history right now. You are in Christ Jesus and you are also in Philippi. It's both. You're also, you're, you're being saved and you're a part of God's work to do the saving. It's both. He's telling them, I want you to be holy, but not just holy in some far off place, not just holy in some high and lofty way of thinking. I want you to be holy in the nitty gritty and the down to earth in the city where you live. I want you to be holy there. You're in Christ Jesus, and you're in Philippi. Paul would sit on the stool, and he would say, Church, you're called to be holy in Christ Jesus and in Bonaire. And in Warner Robins, you're called to be holy in Kathleen and all of Houston County. And faraway places like Peach County and Lawrence County and Dodge County, and even way up there in Bibb County. You're called to be holy in Bibb County. I know what you're thinking. Bibb County needs a little more holiness, okay? <clears throat> but so does my street. So does your street. We're called to be holy 
right here. It makes me think of, uh, of that powerful line, the story of Esther, where, where uncle comes and says, could it be that for such a time as this, you have been chosen? Paul says that. You have been chosen, and this is the time. Right here. Right now. You've called. You're called to be holy, to be God's people in that time and place. And then, of course, I'd be remiss if we didn't say one more word about verse 2. Verse 2. May the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, every week, every week in our worship, you're invited to remain standing and turn to each other and offer words of grace and peace. Because it's biblical. Because in every letter that Paul wrote, he opened or closed, or sometimes both, with words of grace and peace. Because the Philippi church 2,000 years ago was filled with people who needed what? Grace and peace. And you know, we haven't changed one bit, have we? I need more grace. I need more peace. Like, like, like it, it, it's, it's, this, it's this, 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 and it's a whole sermon in itself, but it's this, it's this hybrid putting together, mashing together like, like different colored Play-Doh and it still turns out beautiful somehow of the, of the, Greek, of the Greek idea that, that God's grace is a gift and the Jewish idea that God's peace, God's shalom is everlasting. I need to be told that God is gifting me and that God's peace will never leave me. I need to be told that and you need to be told that. He says that. We're two verses in, and his word of greeting is done. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking about how I, uh, how I introduce myself from time to time. A couple years ago, Joyce, you remember a couple years ago, before I was the pastor here, the week before I was the pastor here, the uh, annual conference of the South Georgia uh, Church got together and they had elections for who would represent South Georgia as both the lay people and the clergy people to, uh, to the larger denomination. And of course the meetings happened last year and they'll happen again. Uh, they're already scheduled for 2019 to talk about the, the work of the church and some of the hot button issues of the church. And I, uh, a few days before, I, uh, I, I put my name uh, on a list of people who would be considered to represent the church. And, and the requirement was that, uh, uh, that, that, that in order to do it, you, you, sort of, uh, you had to, to write out a hundred-word bio to describe and introduce yourself, right? You're asking a preacher to introduce themselves in only a hundred words. A hundred words. It was like impossible. I reread it this week. I reread my hundred-word bio that I used in the uh, in, in the process, and uh, I, I lost interest after like thirty-seven words. <laughs> I mean, they were words that I wrote about me, and I'm halfway through going, "This is terrible." Like, why would anybody pick anybody that 
A hundred words is too many. So then I went and found, I know a lot of you um, are on social media. Then I went and found, um, uh, 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 I went and found a little bio that's out on social media. And it's getting there, but it's still too long. It's 16 words. These are the 16 words I use to describe myself. Beloved of God. Husband and father. Georgia Tech basketball. United Methodist pastor. Being saved by grace. Paul would read that and say, it's still too long. Paul would say, a part of a bigger team, slave of Jesus Christ. And then he'd just stop. Because his actions... His, his character, they do the introducing for him. How do, how do you introduce yourself? What words, what words do you feel have to be included when somebody introduces you new to someone else? How many pages is your resume? How many, how, many, how, many, how many fancy terms and prestigious titles? Where do you rank yourself? How often when you walk in the room and you know you're going to meet somebody else, somebody new for the first time or get reacquainted with somebody, how often do you think, how can, I, how can I convey to them where I rank with the rest of the people in the room or the rest of the people on the list? Paul says, I'm part of a team. And when it comes to the rankings, I'm at the bottom because Jesus Christ is number one. And after that, all of the other places don't matter. Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess that we have worked very hard and we have spoken at length and we have filled the air and our own minds with countless words trying to advance our agenda and improve on our place. Lord, Lord too often, every one of us has, has fixated on our ranking. And we're wrong. Gracious God, turn us back to your son Jesus Christ seated on the throne. Ground us in the truth that Christ is not only head of the church, but Lord of our lives.
Lord, my prayer is that these would not just be words that we hear and say, but they would be truths that others can see in us. So Lord, we take this moment to offer back this prayer that your Son, Jesus Christ, is Lord of the universe and Lord of our hearts. And that for all of our strength and all of our ability and of all of our intelligence, there is nothing apart from Christ that we can do to save ourselves. Lord, hear our prayer. And give us the strength this day and daily to make it be our introduction to the world. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.